College Basketball Insider. Some news and notes from around the world of college basketball. In-studio correspondent for WFAN and CBS Sports Radio. Attention please to John Rothstein. Please report <laughs> to St. The Insider's Insider. Joining us now with his thoughts and a break it down, John Rothstein. It's College Hoops Today with John Rothstein. Let's put the women and children of Ed and go looking for dinner. John Rothstein here on the College Hoops Today podcast. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Marquette head coach Shaka Smart. I want to remind you to subscribe to the College Hoops Today podcast on Apple Podcasts. We want to be your Bible for the college basketball season and beyond. We are the only college basketball podcast coming to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. Also want to remind you to check out the College Hoops Today fan page on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a review. Let us know what you think of the product we're bringing to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. And also send me your questions on Twitter. I'll get to them later in this podcast. I'm at John Rothstein. That's John, J-O-N. And a reminder to find and listen to the College Hoops Today podcast on all the popular podcast platforms. Make sure to subscribe, like, and rate the show. And please feel free to leave us a review. And now that we've got you set, obviously, for all your podcast needs, we are now within one month of Selection Sunday. And there was an early bracket reveal Saturday on CBS. There was a lot of different themes that I took away from this reveal. Now, Purdue was the number one overall seed on Saturday, but 24 hours after that bracket came out, the Boilers lost to Ohio State on Sunday in Columbus. That game also on CBS. And that was a game that Ohio State played. It was the first time that Ohio State played under interim head coach Jake Diebler, who replaced Chris Holtman, who was fired in the middle of last week after Ohio State had lost 9 of 11 games. And all this did to me was reiterate that Purdue fans... Purdue alumni need to be prepared at how quickly things can change and go in the wrong direction because Purdue is clearly on a path to a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, but Purdue is also in a situation where there is no in between. You make the Final Four or you don't make the Final Four. Anything less will certify again as a colossal disappointment. Another off-the-radar storyline I had from the bracket reveal, the Mountain West comfortably had six teams in the bracket. There were no double-digit seeds from the Mountain West, which to me was incredible. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The way the Mountain West has dealt with blow after blow and sustained its place amongst all this realignment is incredible. The league has never had more than five teams in the NCAA tournament. That happened in 2013. Six right now comfortably in the field as we sit here a little bit less than four weeks away from Selection Sunday. And the third focal point and the takeaway I had was it does not matter whether or not UConn is the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Now, after Purdue's loss on Sunday, the Huskies went to the top spot. But the only thing that matters for the Huskies is being in the East region because that means UConn would play first and second round games in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games at TD Garden in Boston. That means that Dan Hurley and company would not have to get on a plane before the Final Four in Arizona. UConn dominated Marquette on Saturday, 81-53. Where do the Golden Eagles go from here? We'll find out when Marquette head coach Shaka Smart joins the College of State podcast with John Rothstein coming up next. Marquette is 19-6 after 25 games. The Golden Eagles are defending Big East regular season and tournament champions. And the head coach of Marquette 
It's Shaka Smart. He now joins the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. And Shaka, before we get to your own team, you know, I was watching Dusty May and Florida Atlantic on Sunday, and they ended up losing to South Florida. But I'm saying in my head, that is such an incredible situation and circumstance to deal with for a coach who takes a non-traditional power to a Final Four and having to deal with those type of expectations the next year. You dealt with that when you were at VCU. What's he going through right now? Well, I would say he's going through a night and day different season from the standpoint of expectations and, you know, different inhibitors that can come into guys' minds and just different factors. But, you know, from the outside looking in, he's doing a heck of a job. He's got a really, really high character team. And I would say what their team has in common with our team is that all the experiences that they're going through over the course of this season, uh, whether they're big wins like beating Arizona or whether they're tough losses, those things are all chips that they have in their pocket as they head towards the stretch run in the most important time of the season. So probably in a really, really good position to go do something special again. And it feels like the narrative when you're coaching a team like that in a situation like that is that everybody wants to see if you can replicate the next March what you did the past March. But you know this because you lived it. You don't start the season with a quality seed in the NCAA tournament. As a coach, how do you manage that? It's interesting. It's a fascinating um, sport and level in that 90% of the importance is put on one you know, three or four week stretch of the season, but the rest of the season is so incredibly important for, as you said, positioning you for that three or four week stretch. And so it's it's just unlike any other in that, you know, a random game that you play in November or even January or February has huge implications, but everybody's kind of waiting to judge you based on March. Now, after you went to the Final Four at VCU, you know, I was obviously around your program a lot during those years, you know, you being on the East Coast, and it felt like, you know, the conversation always went back to going far again in the NCAA tournament. How much did you feel the program shift from one that was hunting to one that one that was being hunted? It absolutely shifted for us. Uh, we, we changed leagues as well. So that was, you know, something that we had to navigate um, going from the CAA to the Atlantic 10. But I think it's more the internal mindset that, that is, is so important. So even though you may shift a little bit to being more hunted, it's more about the guys and the way that the guys view it. Um, are you fighting off any type of entitlement? Um, do you have the same hunger and even desperation to do all the little things that go into winning? So that's way more important than what anyone else thinks. Well, let's talk now about the present and what's ahead in the future, since we've obviously rehashed a lot here in the first couple of minutes. The calendar is going to shift to March at the end of next week. What is that like as a coach to know that we're getting, obviously, into the time where college basketball is right at the forefront of our country? It's exciting, but it's also a real challenge, John, to be in the moment because Mm -hmm. almost everyone – that's not a player or a coach is focused on March and, and specifically the NCAA tournament. 
while as a player or a coach, really your emphasis should be on let's have a great practice today. Sure. And that's the focal point, I'm sure, for Marquette moving forward as you got six regular season games. You played UConn over the weekend in Hartford, a team that won the national championship last year. After sampling the Huskies for 40 minutes, do you think this rendition of UConn is better than the one that won a national title last year in decisive fashion? Well, I'll say this. We've played UConn, let's see, six times now since I've been at Marquette. That's the best UConn team that we've played out of those six games. Um, obviously, that's not how the postseason works. You know, you put together a string of games, and last year's team put together as impressive of a six-game run as you know there is in recent memory. You know, Shaka, I am not a coach, and you know, you remind me of that at least once a season, maybe more, depending on how you're feeling. But the biggest takeaway I've looked at when looking at UConn and other coaches in your league have told me this as well is that Adama Sonogo was a dominant force last year at center for them and carved out space like nobody else in college basketball. But because of what Donovan Klingon does defensively, not just protecting front of the rim, but altering the way teams run their offense, they're significantly harder to score on this year. What is it like now to try and go against UConn with Klingon usage going up from a year ago? He's been terrific. Uh, And you make a great point. His impact on the defensive end is even more so than than what he does on offense. And he is incredibly efficient and effective on offense. But I would say, and you know me, my bias is always – on the cultural side, in other words, how a team acts, interacts, and responds. Um, I think the, another huge advantage of this year's team, this year's UConn team, is that there is zero, and I mean zero, entitlement amongst their team and their players. And so with that, it doesn't matter who leads them in scoring. It doesn't matter who is in the game at the crucial moment. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, who's going to take the last shot. Those guys have a real connectivity around doing what it takes to win. Marquette head coach Shaka Smart joined the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein, Golden Eagles, 19-6 and six through 25 games. Well, let's talk about Marquette. You're a team, again, that has entered this season with a different dynamic than the one you had a year ago. We spoke early in this chat about the change in dynamic for Florida Atlantic this year compared to last, the change in dynamic you had at VCU after going to the Final Four. For the group of guys you're currently coaching, what has it been like for them being hunted versus last season when they were the hunter? Very similar to what we spoke about earlier. Um, it's it's uh, you, you have to deal with the fact that people do want to beat you more than maybe they did a year ago. But again, that is secondary to all the little mental challenges, aspects that you have to do to be in the right place as a player or as a team to perform your best and, and knowing that anything that you've done in the past, whether it's last year or earlier this year, that's not by itself going to get you a basket or get you a stop. Um, so I, I think it's been a fun challenge and exciting for our guys, and hopefully we can continue to grow. 
And Shaka, the unique thing about your team, and you've spoke about this, you know, repeatedly, is that in a day and age where programs are flipping the rosters and taking high volume out of the transfer portal, you have went the opposite way. If another coach wanted to pick your brain in this climate on the keys to player retention, what would you tell them? Well, I think there's three things that go into retention. Uh, number one, relationships. And I'll tell you, John, the area where I've really evolved, I used to think that the most important relationships uh, as it related to retention was how the players feel about the coaches and the coaches and the players. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've learned is way more important than that is how the players feel about each other. So in other words, if you and I are teammates at you know school A, I am much less likely to transfer to school B if I feel a certain way about you and you feel a certain way about me. And just to keep it really, really simple, I want to continue to be your teammate and vice versa. Number two, the experience that guys have as part of your program. And I think that that is the holistic experience. So on the court, off the court, uh, everything that goes into the 24 hours that go into a day, the seven days in a week, the 365 days in a year. And a big part of that experience is absolutely winning or losing. So in other words, there's a reason Florida Atlantic didn't lose a lot of transfers. Those right. guys liked winning. <laughs> Those guys enjoyed being on a Final Four team, and they wanted the opportunity to go do that again. And then the third reason, and, and this is certainly a, a real thing in today's day and age, is what I call pragmatics. So, like, <laughs> just the reality of uh, life. And so sometimes guys have, have transferred or made moves to improve you know, whatever it may be for themselves, you know, whether it's playing time or whether it's something to do with NIL. And that's part of our reality. Um, so I think those are the three things that go into retention. And so for us, we just try to do the best job we can to keep a close eye on where we are and, and, and try to make sure the relationship side, the experience side, and as much as we can control the pragmatic side is good for these guys. From your vantage point, what are the biggest differences between this Marquette team and the team you had a year ago? Well, I think the experiences that we've been through are much different. And, you know, I think if you looked at that simplistically, you could say that that's a good thing um, just because we, we've been through more. Um, but it also can change maybe your expectations uh, or, or what you know you need to do. Uh, Sean Jones being hurt is, is, a, is a significant difference just not having him out there he's a dynamic player uh obviously omax you know brought a lot to the table for us last year uh we're still figuring out and working through how to you know fully replace him you don't do it with one guy you know jobs had a nice season has had some really good moments but ben gold's a guy that is incredibly important for us to continue to develop i I really like the lineup with him and Oso out there together uh, we just got to keep getting him sturdier and sturdier. Um, so we're still a work in progress. You know, you mentioned David Joplin, and I was going over the numbers before, you know, we started this chat. When he hits double figures this year, Marquette is 12-1. and one. What changes when you get pop out of him offensively? Well, he's one of those guys, and, and you always, as a coach, you know, I guess the old school coach, and you says this, you know, it shouldn't be this way, but – 
when his offenses go well, I mean, everything else he's going to do better, too. He's going to rebound better. He's going to defend with more urgency. He's just more engaged. He's, he's a better leader. Um, but you know what? He's a human being. So I think that that um, can describe a lot of basketball players, including probably if you go back to Kenyon College, me when I played. So um, I, I think it's incumbent upon us to continue to try to find ways to create offensive opportunities for him. And he's obviously a key ancillary piece around your main foundation guys and Osoe Godaro and Tyler Kolick. You know, part of the great retention that not just Marquette has had, but a lot of programs in college basketball has been maximizing the ability to bring players back for a COVID year if they did not want to pursue a professional opportunity. Kolick and Igodaro have that option. Has that been discussed at all, you know, in terms of Marquette bringing them back for a fifth year next season? It absolutely was discussed in detail before the season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, right now it's February. We're focusing on trying to beat DePaul uh, on Wednesday. And our guys, both those guys, have been terrific about being present, um, you know, focusing on their teammates and, and winning. And this season, um, you know, both those guys have, as you can imagine, very, very um, strong aspirations beyond college. Sure. And the good thing is, you know, they, they continue to put themselves in better and better position for that. Marquette head coach Shaka Smart joined the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. You know, before yesterday, Shaka, and obviously some results changed this a bit, but nine of the 11 teams in the Big East were squarely in the NCAA tournament picture. That's over 80% of the league. And as you and I know, Xavier lost two starters to injury in Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle. Providence lost a potential player of the year candidate in Bryce Hopkins. What's it been like for you to be a part of the Big East? So much fun. I'm just really grateful, John. I've coached in a lot of leagues as an assistant coach, as a head coach. The dedication and 365-day-a-year commitment or even obsession with men's (laughs) basketball in this league and the schools that make up this league. It's just so much fun to be a part of. I'm really, really appreciative uh, to get a chance to coach uh, at a place like Marquette. Every time we take the floor, uh, our arena is just jam-packed and electric and so excited. Um, and our guys you know, really feed off of that. So I'm really grateful. You know, Shaka, we've had many talks about this over the years and about the changing landscape of college sports. And I think anybody who's involved in college sports would agree that things are a real work in progress to create some sort of stability. But with what we've seen in realignment the past 12 to 18 months, is it reassuring to know that you're in a basketball-centric conference and the main things, at least we think, are going to stay the main things? Well, yeah, I think that's reassuring, but at the same time, None of us has a crystal ball in terms of the way things are going to continue to evolve with NIL or, you know, whatever is going to replace that or or augment that. So I think as long as the schools in our league are able to be competitive from a recruiting standpoint and, again, from an experiential standpoint with the Power Five conferences – then, you know, this is a really, really special league to be part of. 
You know, you've told me many times throughout, you know, the times that we've known each other, the time that we've known each other that, you know, New Yorkers have a way, you know, of kind of thinking that they're kind of above the rest of the world. But you've been on record talking about that, you know, you really enjoy what's ahead in March with the Big East tournament culminating at Madison Square Garden. That was obviously a highlight for Marquette last year as you won a Big East tournament championship. Have you warmed up to the Big Apple after the experiences experiences you've had the last couple of years at Marquette at the at Madison Square Garden? I love the Big Apple. Don't get that twisted, John. I think it's a great place to visit. I just would not want to live there. Um, now, as it relates to Madison Square Garden and the Big East Tournament, and by the way, we played at the Barclays Center for many years when I was at VCU in the Atlantic yeah. 10 Tournament. MSG, Big East Tournament, second to none. And, uh, I mean, it is so special to be part of. Um, I, I, I think that it's something that every basketball fan, if you've not come to the Friday night semifinals or the Saturday night championship game, you have to do yourself a favor and come check it out. And for our team you know, the experience we had there last year, uh, it, it was just so unbelievably rewarding. And so, yeah, in a few weeks, getting a chance to go back and compete in that event, really, really special. Now, that Saturday night, you beat Xavier in the title game. You're at Madison Square Garden cutting down nets. You won a Big East regular season title. You won a Big East tournament title. And then eight days later, you don't play your best game against Michigan State and your season's over in the NCAA tournament. What is it like in eight days to go from a professional high like that to then a low? All-out devastation, John. Whatever low descriptor you can use, that's what it's like. And it is, it's just so jarring because the season ends uh, abruptly. I mean, you never really expect it. Uh, the one year at VCU when we went to the Final Four, I remember looking at the calendar and knowing, okay, we play on Saturday. The longest the season could go would be two more days. Right. But other than that, I mean, it's you just, you know, you, you, you love what you do. Absolutely love the people you do it with. And, again, particularly when you get to March, it's just such a special time that you don't want it to end. But like everything in life, you know, it's going to, and so you just got to do your best to be present and enjoy the moment. How often do you and your team talk about the Michigan State game? Uh, we talked about it a lot in the off season. We did a couple exercises around just what we can learn from not just the Michigan State game, but our whole NCAA tournament experience last year. And then we've kind of left it there during the regular season, but we definitely – We'll come back to those lessons from the NCAA tournament uh, once we get to that time of year. You know, Shock, I've talked about this, about this with you. You know, one of the great things about my job is, you know, you travel the country, you spend time with all these, you know, unique personalities, and you get perspective on so many different things. And I remember vividly being at Syracuse once and talking to Jim Beheim, you know, during a Syracuse practice. And he told me, once you make a Final Four, that's the only thing that matters as a coach in college basketball. All you think about is how do I get back because that's the standard that's set. Do you feel that's how you've measured everything since you went in 2011? 
Well, it can't be how you measure everything because there's so many uh, components of the job that are meaningful that go beyond wins and losses. But I completely agree with his assessment of just the the intensity of getting to that point. I mean, if you were going to put your positive experiences and your negative experiences on a scale, um, you know, the Final Four, it, it, I mean, it's just so much higher from a positive standpoint than really anything else that I've been a part of. I've not been on a team that's played in the, in the national championship game or, or won the whole thing. Um, so you just, you're scratching and clawing and fighting and, and, and doing everything you can to maybe have the chance to do it again. Well, we'll wrap with this. How does this team get back to a similar situation as it was in last year against a team like Michigan State as a high seed in the NCAA tournament and go further? By continuing to build our championship habits and really focusing on all the things that make us our very best when it matters most. That's been our biggest emphasis. And, it's again, it's an interesting level in sport in that today really, really matters. You know, our next game really matters. But we truly, truly want to be the best us in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and, again, you mentioned UConn earlier. I mean, their team last year was an unbelievable template for that. Um, so that's where our focus is, um, continuing to build our habits of trying to be the best us when it matters most. Well, Shaka, we appreciate a couple minutes. I know how busy you are, and as always, look forward to staying connected along the way. You got it. Thanks for having me. We'd like to thank Marquette head coach Shaka Smart for joining the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. Want to remind you to subscribe to the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein on Apple Podcasts. We want to be your Bible for the college basketball season and beyond. We're the only college basketball podcast coming to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. I also want to remind you to check out the College Hoops Today fan page on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a review. Let us know what you think of the product we're bringing to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. And also a reminder to find and listen to the College Hoops Today podcast on all the popular podcast platforms. Make sure to subscribe, like, and rate the show. And please feel free to leave us a review. And time now for our social media portion of the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. Send me your questions questions on Twitter. I'm at John Rothstein. That's John, J-O-N. Marco Douglas wants to know, John, how far can San Diego State go realistically? Well, I was a bit surprised that San Diego State was a top 16 seed in the bracket reveal on Saturday. I thought the Aztecs would not be quite that high on the seed line. San Diego State, with a couple of good breaks, I think could find itself in the Sweet 16 or could lose in the round of 32. I don't think San Diego State's getting nearly the attention it did last year. But you have to remember, last year's bracket also broke open very well for San Diego State. Beat Charleston in the first round, beat Furman in the second round. Our next question is going to come from Dave Furman. It's, John, what do you think the Pitt Panthers need to do the rest of the season to get into the NCAA tournament field? Well, Pitt put itself in position to be in position with a big-time, big-time road win last week at Virginia. Jeff Capel's club now has wins at Duke and at Virginia, and there still are some opportunities for Pitt to move the needle. Panthers right now currently tied for fourth place in the ACC. Pitt with a big quad one opportunity coming up 
Tuesday night at Wake Forest, and we'll also play at Clemson a week from tomorrow night. Those are both quad one opportunities. Those are massive games for Jeff Capel's club. And our next question comes from Britton Johnson Burnett. John, who do you think will win the SEC regular season title? I think Tennessee is the best team in the SEC, and I think if all things are equal, that's the team that will be the number one seed in the SEC tournament. And here's another interesting thing about Tennessee. Tennessee, who has struggled to score repeatedly under Rick Barnes over the past couple of years, has scored 88 or more points in four of its last five games. If Tennessee doesn't advance in March Madness coming up next month, it won't be because of a lack of offense. Now, let's get to some nuggets. Five good nuggets. Five. Five. Six. No, five. But you were close. Nugget number one, McCain on the money. Jared McCain's 35-point performance in Saturday's win over Florida State featured eight made threes. That was the most ever by a Duke freshman. Nugget number two, blunders by the Badgers. A few weeks ago, Wisconsin was 16-4 and and in the mix for one of the top four seeds in the NCAA tournament. The Badgers have since lost five of six games. Nugget number three, all eyes on Diara. Hassan Diara continues to emerge as a key reserve for UConn. In his last three games, averaging 9.3 points per game for assists per game, 2.7 rebounds per game, and 2.3 steals during that span. Nugget number four, Tar Heels keeping the pace. North Carolina has now tied its win total from last season, and it's only obviously the third week of February. Tar Heels have 20 victories already, which was the same amount they had last season. Nugget number five, Wade's way. McNeese is now 23-3 and under Will Wade in year one. Don't be shocked if the Cowboys win 30-plus games this season. Now let's get some games to watch. Games to watch. Games to watch. Monday night at the Fertitta Center, Houston hosts Iowa State. Tuesday, UConn is at Creighton. Wednesday, Colorado State visits New Mexico. Meanwhile, Thursday, Rutgers is at Purdue and Washington State. One of the surprise teams in the country travels to Arizona. We'd like to thank Marquette head coach Shaka Smart for joining the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. This was the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. 